0: Seems I'm never ready for the song service to end. I so much enjoy singing those great hymns of our faith. And it's good to be here in the Lord's house this morning. And we trust that God is going to continue to speak to us from his word. Uh, I truly enjoyed Brother Stephen's I don't know if you prefer Stephen or Steve. is <laughs> uh, His lesson this morning, it was worth the price of admission. Uh, it really was. And so uh, if you missed it, uh, you should figure out some way to go online and listen to it. Um, I hope you've had a good week this week. For you here in the auditorium and those... Uh, Worshiping with us virtually uh, out there online somewhere. Uh, trust that God has been good to you today and throughout this week. It's been a blessing. It, it, this has been a good day today. Um, this, uh, uh, this last winter when we had this terrible freeze, a lot of our crepe myrtles bit the dust. And so we had our uh, yard guy to dig them up, and so we planned to replace them. And uh, we had decided to put in rows of Sharon. And um, the problem is the our Mister Verde uh, is just swamped because of all the rain and everything we've had. So. He hadn't gotten around to it. So this week, we went to Callaway's and bought a couple of Rose of Sharon plants. And um, with Andrew's help, I got them in the ground. And uh, now you, you're wondering, you know, why, why is he telling us this story? Well, there's always a point to every story. Um, this morning, when we first got up, we've got this Google thing that you tell it, Google set the alarm for 6.30 in the morning. So here it comes on, the music comes on and so forth and, and that's good. But then you cancel the, the, the alarm and I tell it to give me some good George Beverly Shea music. Well, they, just, they didn't just limit it to George Beverly Shea but it was some good music But among the songs that George Beverly Shea sang this morning for us was Jesus, Rose of Sharon. I've only heard two people sing that song. One is George Beverly Shea because he wrote the music to those words that somebody wrote. And then my younger brother Bill. And I've got a recording of Bill singing that song. Beautiful. And then I went outside this morning to get in the car, raise the garage door, and there out in the flower bed the two little new small rows of Sharon shrubs. And guess what? One of them is already got it. A beautiful bloom. A raspberry colored bloom. And there's all these little buds on there. And and I'm looking forward to many more times of going out the door and looking at my roses here and blooming. But the important thing is that it pictures Jesus Christ. Who is our true Rose of Sharon. And I hope that we can all rejoice together with the reality that we have that wonderful, wonderful Rose of Sharon in our own lives. Well, uh, it's good to be back and we're continuing our series on God's Salvation Package. And today we have arrived at reconciliation. And uh, all of these different aspects of our wonderful salvation that God has provided for us, uh, we've used the idea of a, a diamond. And I didn't put the slide back in this time, but all the different facets that go into make the brilliance and the beauty of the diamond. And so we're going to look at another aspect of our salvation today, and that is our reconciliation. Well, y'all excuse me, this, uh, these allergies, uh, my Kleenex got dumped, I guess. So we're going to read this scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. And uh, if you will stand with me and we will read uh, these scriptures together. And you'll forgive me if I continue to sit. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for this wonderful, marvelous truth that through Jesus Christ, we are reconciled to you, that we can become your children in perfect harmony and fellowship with you, And so guide us by your Holy Spirit as we study this great and wonderful truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Reconciliation. And uh, this drawing, picture, kind of tells us that the heart of reconciliation is the cross of Jesus Christ. And it brings everything together. All the world, all the people of the world coming to God uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And so the question comes then, what is reconciliation? Well, the, the reason, the need for reconciliation and the problem that we have is that humankind, mankind were alienated from God. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you. And so this is the problem that Adam and Eve had there in the garden when they had first sinned against God. Uh, Their sin had driven them away from God and caused them to be driven out of the garden. And the same for every single one of us because we are the descendants of Adam. We have inherited his sin nature and therefore we are alienated from God and reconciliation is the restoration of that ruptured relationship that exists between us and God and if that rupture is not restored then we will spend eternity separated from God. Now John Glaypool in his book The Preaching Event uh, tells a story uh, in the book about two twin brothers And the two twin brothers Were from their birth They were very close And, uh, and they just enjoyed one another's company And fellowship And so forth And uh, so as time went on And the uh, two young men uh, Grew up together And their father passed away And the father had had a store uh, And so after he passed away The two Twin brothers just continued to operate their father's store. Um, And they ran the store together in a joyful collaboration. But then one day, a customer came into the store. He made a small purchase, and uh, he paid the purchase with a dollar bill. Well, the brother who handled the purchase put the dollar bill on top of the cash register, and uh, then he saw the customer out the front door. When he came back and was going to put the dollar bill in the cash register, it was missing. There was no dollar bill. Well, he called his brother and he said to his twin brother, Did you take the dollar bill? The brother said, no, I didn't. And so they got into an argument. The one brother said, now, I know you had to take the the dollar bill because we're the only ones here. Nobody else is here in the store. And I put it there, and it's missing. You had to take it. Well, because of that, an argument ensued, and uh, uh, mistrust and suspicion grew, and, They could no longer work together in harmony as before. And so they decided the only way to do it was to put a partition down the middle of the store and uh, operate two stores, one brother on one side, the other brother on the other side. And uh, in anger, they refused to speak together for 20 years. And then one day, a stranger entered the store. And... uh, he asked the one brother that was um, had met him, he said, uh, have you been in business very long here? And he said, oh, yes, we've been here at least 20 or 30 years. And uh, the man said, well, good, I, I need to tell you something. It was about 20 years ago I was here, and I was out of work, and I was homeless, and I had gotten off a railroad boxcar, and I had no money, and I hadn't eaten anything, and I saw the dollar bill on top of the cash register and and there was nobody there so I sneaked in and I took the dollar bill and I've come back now because I recently became a Christian. I realized that what I did was wrong and so I'm here to repay that loan with interest. Well, the brother, the storekeeper that he was talking to began to weep and cry. And he said, would you please come next door and tell that story to my brother? And so he did. And the two brothers realized that all of those years with their ruptured relationship was all for naught. It could have been avoided. And so they were reconciled. Healing came. Reconciliation came. And that's what Jesus did for us. Reconciliation with God. Again, repeating, reconciliation is the restoration of a ruptured relationship. Our relationship with God was ruptured and broken when man sinned. There in the Garden of Eden. All those many centuries ago. Reconciliation refers to the change in our relationship between God and man. Because we are no longer enemies of God. We are no longer the children of wrath. Because that relationship has been restored. And our sins have been forgiven. We are no longer the enemies of God. And now through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, we are once again reconciled to God as God intended from the beginning when he created Adam and Eve and placed them there in the garden and God could come into the garden and talk to them face to face and enjoy blessed fellowship with them. And so that is what happens In this beautiful doctrine of reconciliation that was made possible through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so the question comes, why do we need to be reconciled? Well, of course, we've already been talking about that. But let's look at Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. This is a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful passage of scripture. It says, for when we were without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Then continuing the reconciliation. Amen and amen. What a blessed scripture that is. So why do we need to be reconciled? These scriptures have told us. First of all, it tells us because man is weak. He said in the beginning verse there, man, we were without strength. Um, <clears throat> the result of our deprived, deprived, <laughs> <depraved> <laughs> I'll get it straight here in a minute, depraved in nature, by birth and uh, because of our sins that is our nature and we are unable to resist sin or do the works of righteousness that that are acceptable to god we are without strength we are helpless we are undone and uh, the world is weak as far as our relationship to god is concerned But not only that, but man is worthless. Um, It says Christ died for the ungodly. Those who are outside of the realm of God's love and fellowship, they are worthless. They are ungodly, as the scripture says. Uh, William Barclay, in his uh, commentary on the book of Romans, uh, tells the story, the incident, in the life of T.E. Lawrence, otherwise known as Lawrence of Arabia. And I won't ask you, but I'm sure many of us have seen that movie more than once. Uh, And um, so in that story, Lawrence of Arabia uh, has convinced the Arab army that they need to attack the port city of Aqaba from the rear. In order to do that, they have to travel across the desert. Uh, and uh, everybody said, it can't be done. Lawrence convinced them that it could be done. But as they traveled across the desert, uh, with that hot, humid weather, uh, the, well, probably one not very humid, the hot weather, uh, the blowing sand in their faces and so forth, uh, and their food uh, and their water was almost gone. And it seemed hopeless, but in the midst of all of this, um, one of the Arab men who many people would have called considered worthless uh, his name was Jasmine uh, he had attached himself to Lawrence and as Lawrence's servant um, and Jasmine disappeared, and the question uh, Came, where is Jasmine? And uh, so the uh, discussion came among the Arab people. He said, he killed a Turkish tax collector and he fled to the desert. Another said, look, Jasmine's camel has no rifle. His rifle is strapped to the saddle, but Jasmine is not there. And another said, well, probably someone has shot him on the march. And finally, someone said, he is not strong in the head. Perhaps he is lost in a mirage. And another said, he is not strong in the body. Perhaps he has fainted and fallen off his camel. Well, there was a lot of confusion. But they said, no matter, Jasmine was not worth half a crown. Uh, which was at that time, I guess, the equivalent of 21 cents U.S. dollars. And so the Arabs said, Jasmine's gone no matter. He's not worth half a crown. And so the Arabs hunched themselves up on their camels and they rode on toward Aqaba. But the Arabs looked in amazement at Lawrence, T.E. Lawrence, because Lawrence turned his camel around and rode back in the direction which in, from which they had come. And the Arab said, there is Jasmine not worth half a crown. Our Lord Lawrence is risking his own life to save him. And so Lawrence turned and rode back the way they had come and alone in the blazing heat at risk of his own life. After a hour and a half ride, he saw something in the sand. It was Jasmine, blind, mad with heat and thirst. Jasmine being murdered by the desert. But Lawrence lifted Jasmine up on his camel gave him the last drops of his water and slowly plodded back to his company. He had saved worthless jasmine. Whether or not that's a true story, I don't know, but uh, William Barclay told about it in his commentary and it's also pictured beautifully in the movie Lawrence of Arabia. But the true story of restoring a worthless person is the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was not for good men that Jesus Christ came to die and to save, but it was for worthless men and ungodly men. Jesus Died on the cross to rescue us, to rescue you and me from what we deserved. Jesus endured all the temptations and all of the assaults of Satan during his life, and they were many, and we are given some of those pictured in the Bible. And yet he overcame all of those temptations. And during his earthly ministry, the foxes had holes and the birds of the air had nests, but the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as he faced drinking the bitter cup of agony and shame and death, He prayed, not my will, but yours be done. He went forward to the cross knowing what it meant, what he was going to have to endure, but in order that he might reconcile us once again to God. So the question is, continue, why do we need to be reconciled? Well, first of all, man is weak, man is wicked, Man is wrong. Verse 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is missing the mark. And every single one of us have missed the mark. We have not hit the target, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Salvation through him. We have missed the mark. Sin is taking the wrong road. Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 and 14 pictures that reality beautifully. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Now, folks, God, when we're born into this world, he puts on this road of life. And there may come many intersections on the way. But there's always a broad way and a narrow way. And it always involves our making a choice. Which way will we choose? And as that scripture indicates to us, many go in by the broad way. They make the wrong wrong choice. And so that is the reality. And then why do we need to be reconciled? Because man is under wrath. Verse 9, we shall be saved from wrath Through him. And uh, this is a clear declaration of Scripture that to be reconciled means to be saved from wrath through Jesus Christ. And uh, the world has made a big mistake. They've many, so many in the world, so many even in the so called Christian world have convinced themselves that God is a God of love and mercy and that he would never send people to hell and never send people uh, into eternity separated from him in a place of suffering and agony. That's a big mistake. Because you can ignore the Bible teaching about justice and the judgment of God and the righteousness of God and the holiness of God at your own peril. John 3.36 is a scripture that makes it so plain and yet so simple. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Now that's the positive. We like to grab hold of that. But the opposite end of that, the negative side of it, he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And I have used the illustration in the past. I don't have a slide for this, uh, but uh, you take a, a little tissue out of the Kleenex box, And you hold it in your hand and you put a little pebble on top of that little tissue. And uh, as long as there's no water hitting the pebble and the tissue, it's all right. But if you pour just a little bit of water on top of the pebble, that tissue melts away. And the pebble falls to the ground. And that's where we stand as individuals in this world. The thin tissue of this life is all that separates us from eternity. It's all that separates us from facing our eternal creator, God. And if we face him... Without preparation, without salvation, without faith in Jesus Christ, we're doomed for eternity. So why do we need to be reconciled? Because man is wicked. Verse 10 says, we were enemies. The Bible declares that apart from Christ, we are all enemies of God. Jesus is our best friend. He laid down his life in order to save us. Because God loves us. He's our best friend. But until we confess our sins, repent of our sins, and the blood of Jesus has covered our sins and cleansed us from our sins, we're still under the wrath of God. When we reject God's Son as our Savior, we make ourselves a rebel and an enemy of God. The Bible makes this clear and Paul in Romans chapter 5, I think it is, and other scriptures as well make it clear that all outside of Jesus Christ are at enmity or are enemies of God. And so who initiated reconciliation? How does it come about? Does it come about because one day I just decided I wanted to turn over a new leaf. I wanted to get religion. I wanted to be be a good person. I wanted to be be a good church member and so forth. And I came and was baptized and I came to the church and I observed all the sacraments and all the rituals and all the liturgies. And and so now I'm going to be all right. No, that's not how it works. The Bible makes it clear that it's impossible for man to initiate reconciliation with God. And uh, this reality and this truth is emphatically emphasized by Romans chapter 3 verses 10 through 18. And um, just these are very familiar verses for you. Paul, in the book of Romans, he says, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Um, and so, uh, these make it clear that we, it's impossible for us to initiate reconciliation. It has to come from another source. And reconciliation, we will find, is God's unilateral act in bringing peace in his relationship with lost humanity. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. And you remember that scripture over in 1 in Peter. Jesus stood as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So this was something that God planned from eternity. And so in these verses number six, verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, he shall be saved from wrath through him. Verse 10, he we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. And verse 10, we shall be saved by He is life. And so it all comes from God. Nothing that you and I can do except reach up and take the hand that God has extended through Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Verses 18 through 21. Verse 18 says, God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Verse 19 again, God was in Christ Christ reconciling the world to himself. In verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you see the picture? That everything had to be of God. That God, because he loved us, he sent his son into the world to die for us. And through his work that he has set forth, Jesus Christ went back to glory, but he sent the Holy Spirit. The church was founded and established and sent forth into the world. And God has that program that we are to share the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. And it's all of God. And uh, he continues to do that marvelous work of reconciling the world to himself. Well, this is a picture of St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin. And um, it was the scene of a famous feud back in 1492 between the Armands and the Kildare's. And in that cathedral, there is a door that's called the Door of Reconciliation because in the middle of that door is a rectangular hole and uh, it's called the Door of Reconciliation. And uh, this feud between the Ormonds and the Kildare's had lasted for a long time. And uh, the uh, Earl of Ormond had uh, taken refuge inside the St. Patrick's Cathedral, and uh, all of his family and all of his followers were there in the cathedral. And uh, the Kildares were on the outside trying to attack and, and defeat them. Uh, but uh, finally, the Earl of Kildare decided that this feud was a little bit ridiculous, it was too foolish, and he wanted to end the feud. He said we've got two families here, we worship the same God, we go to the same church, we uh, live in the same country and here we are still trying to kill one another. And so the Earl of Kildare called out to the Earl of Ormond and he pledged not to seek revenge or to indulge in villainy. He wanted the Ormonds to come out, shake hands and the feud would be over. Well, you can expect the Earl of Ormond was convinced that it was a trick. That the Earl of Kildare was full of treachery, and so he refused to come out. So the Earl of Kildare took his spear and chopped a hole in the middle of that huge door and then he thrust his hand through the door and cried, truce. Now the Earl of Ormond could have chopped off his hand and the feud would have continued. But instead, Ormond opened the door, took the extended hand, and the feud was over. Well, that's the door of reconciliation and Uh, I understand that door is still there in St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin, Ireland today. It's still on display there called the Door of Reconciliation. Wow. But folks, there's another door of reconciliation that we need to talk about today. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ because he said... I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he shall be saved. And uh, Colossians chapter one, verses 21 and 22. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death To present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Wow, that's amazing. You see that picture? That tells that, that verse in Colossians tells the whole story of reconciliation. The fact that God sent his son Jesus Christ in the body, in his human fleshly body to die on the cross, to bear our sins, to take our place so that we might be reconciled to God. Blessed thought that we have that privilege today. So who needs reconciliation? Romans 3.23, all have sinned. Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world, and death spread to all men, because all sinned. All. Doesn't leave anybody out. All of Adam's posterity have sinned. a ruptured relationship with our Heavenly Father. But he loves us. and He sent Jesus to die for us on the cross that through his death that ruptured relationship might be once again restored. Amen. Brother Steve's going to come and lead us in our hymn hymn of invitation. What number were we singing, brother? It's not in the book. It's not in the book. Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll all sing it off the screen. <clears throat> we had a lady over in Taiwan came to teach our Chinese kindergarten, uh, Joyce Gibson. She was an elderly lady, and uh, she was a member of a church down at Deer Park, First Baptist Church, Deer Park. And she talked about singing off the wall. Well, we're going to sing off the wall today.